Hey, listeners, it's your friend Tig. As a comedian and an artist, is that what I am? Some might consider me to be. Others definitely don't. A public figure, for sure. Certain public, you know, other people, no clue who I am. But generating material, I use a lot of things from my life. I used to not share anything from my life, really. I mean, here and there, but very surfacy or in a very structured joke form. And then I went full throttle in 2012 when I got sick and my mother died and I went through my breakup. I shared every detail. It was cathartic. And now I'm like, I still share things about my personal life and my private life, but I'm picking and choosing more carefully. And I'll think, I don't know if the world needed to know that or the world needed to hear that joke. There's also people that aren't public figures and you have social media and then you have the option to share every detail of your breakup, your divorce, your illnesses, what your kids are going through, your in-laws are driving you insane, your neighbors. And where do you draw the line of what to share about yourself and what to share about others in your life? And is it good? Is it helpful? Do you like when people share it? Or are there people where you're like, oh my gosh, this person is so annoying. You know, cork it. Get a therapist. Get a friend. Yell in a hole. I don't know. And I'm sure everyone has very different feelings about it and reasons why they do what they do. Just some I'm thinking about as I'm rolling down the road. How do you find that happy medium? Go to don'tasktig.org or call 833-ASK-TIG-4 and leave me a voice memo. Plus, don't forget to buy tickets for my ongoing national tour, which I'm calling Hello Again. Tickets are available now at tignotaro.com. So don't miss out. Tickets are going fast. Now on with the show. I just was so good at being an assistant. I was the opposite of you. I was like a great assistant. Wow. Way to humiliate me on my own show. (laughs) You're doing okay. You know, you have a podcast of bad advice. Don't ask Tig. I'm Tig Notaro, your host with the most amount of unqualified advice. My next guest is an actor, producer, and Emmy-winning writer. Her long list of credits include Showtime's The Shy, the award-winning Queen and Slim, Netflix's Master of None, and her newest show, Twenties, which you can stream now on Showtime. Lena Waithe, Thank you for joining me on Don't Ask Tig. Thank you for having me, Tig. Of course. People don't even know it, but you're in some sort of luggage closet in London or something? (laughs) Yes. I've been like, (laughs) what is supposed to be a home office? 
that uh-huh. had a bunch of boxes in it because we're living here temporarily. So there you have it. You look it. like you're shipwrecked, you know, <laughs> like a pirate. I feel shipwrecked sometimes. Yeah, for sure. We've all kind of been shipwrecked for a couple of years. Yeah. And you you have a million projects. You're busy all the time. And do you consider yourself a good multitasker? I am good at multitasking. But it's interesting because the advice I always give people is to do one thing at a time. If you Uh do one thing really well, it'll lead to other things. Mm -hmm. But now I'm at a place where I'm able to do a lot of different things because I have to. I can't not do all these things. And so my mission is just to try to do them all as well as I possibly can. And when I am focusing on something, I try to just focus on that thing. Were you always good at multitasking? Because I I found that... I mean, I had a job as an assistant when I first got into Los Angeles, and I felt like everyone at that company have always stood by the fact that I was the worst assistant that ever came through those doors. But a lot of them are still my really good friends. I would assume that just by watching your stand up and seeing you the (laughs) that you're not going to be that focused on getting somebody's copyright and making sure it's the right time. But it made me good at it. I wasn't good. I was like, I was terrible. When I walked in the door, they hired me only because they liked me. And then I got good at doing these things. And it really contributed to my multitasking and work ethic and all of that. Did you have anything like that that guided you? I was an assistant for so many years when I first moved to LA, which is, I think that's the path. Yeah. And it's very educational. And I was Gina Prince Bythewood's assistant. She's the woman who did Love and Basketball and she did The Secret Life of Bees. And I had to do so many different things because she has kids. They're very young. A husband who's also a director, writer, director, who was vegan at the time when it wasn't cool to be vegan. So I'm just like at the grocery store trying to find vegan cheese before it's cool and helping her eldest son with his science project while still trying to make sure I'm getting her stuff that she needs. And so I was so good at all of those things because there was no choice but to be great. And she actually got me a gig working. She's like, oh, this my friend who's doing her first movie needs a PA. And I recommended you. And I was like, oh, great. Who's your friend? Ava DuVernay. It was her first film. Wow. I was not great in the office when she was in pre-production. She was not feeling me when I was in the office. (laughs) And then when it got to being on set, I was really good. I was running around. I was handling stuff. And that's when she was like, okay, you're good at this part. Okay. She knows where the vegan cheese is. All right. We can work with this. (laughs) Now you're good. And so it really helped me to see what I was sort of running toward yeah. these amazing women who also happened to be Black, who were doing things that I knew I wanted to do eventually. And, yeah. and I could see it. I could see it in front of me. And I could see the mechanics of it as well. So I never right. had a fantasy about what it meant to be a director, a writer, a producer, because I witnessed them having to balance so many different things and balance so many different personalities while being, you know, they can't, they couldn't get too angry. They couldn't always raise their voice. They couldn't do those types of things. And I absolutely peeped that about how they had to juggle all those things at once. Yeah. It's incredible when people are able to juggle. I don't think people can fully understand the insanity that goes on with all of that juggling. And then when you don't 
rip into and destroy other human beings. It's a talent. Yeah. 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 A lot of people are failing that. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> There's a lot of people failing. And it's tricky because you want to be the best boss. You want to always be polite. You want to always say and do the right things. And especially mm-hmm. now, you know, you don't want someone to say, oh, this person, you know, did this or did that. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm grateful that Ava or Gina will sometimes say, hey, you got to do it like this or, hey, be mindful of this. I would always say, okay, got it, understood. Yeah. It really yeah, helpful yeah. for me in my process. And so- in your process, you created 20s, which has been described as a semi-autobiographical TV show. What drew you to doing that type of show? Oh, man. 20s has sort of been around since my 20s. I'm 37 now. And I, I did. I wrote it when I was in my early 20s. <laughs> you know, I was living in L.A. And yeah. it was very reflective of my life then. And it's interesting because I did see girls. And obviously the creator and her name. And I just was like, oh, okay. There's a new voice in town and we can do this. We can do these types of things. And I was very inspired by that. And I wanted to do something that felt honest to me. And my journey was a little different and it looked Mm -hmm. different. It took me a while to get there because it absolutely was ahead of its time at the time. There was nobody trying to do a show about a mass presenting Black lesbian at the center. And even right. now, 20s still doesn't get as much attention as we could. Very grateful to be nominated for Best Comedy Series by GLAAD. Very honored. But I definitely think because we center Blackness that is also queer, I think it's a reason why there's not really this need to talk about it as much. Mm-hmm. And I see why it took so long to get here, but... I'm grateful that it exists because oh yeah it's not anywhere and, and also too I think it's important to see a queer black woman who is flanked by two straight friends because that was also my experience I had a very difficult time finding my queer black community in Los Angeles because there's not really a place for queer black people to hang out in Los Angeles it's not <laughs> I believe you yeah very much geared toward white gays <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, and you feel that you don't have a space. And mm-hmm. I think it was because I got to exist in the way that I did on Master of None. Shout out to Allison Jones, who cast me in that show and saw me. Mm-hmm. And when Aziz asked her, send me interesting people, she said, you should see Lena Way. And he, he completely changed the character. Denise was supposed to be a potential love interest for him, I believe, down the line. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you're interesting, and we're going to just change it. And he said, what would you want to make the character a lesbian? And I was like, that makes my life so much easier. And and it's important. And now I see so many characters. And now you can't have a, a, a character for Black women and not one of them be queer. <laughs> it's like, they're like, right, you need yeah. to have that. That's real. That's honest. <laughs> and I think if it were not for my presence on Master of None, I don't think 20s would have happened. I had to be my own (laughs) representation. Yeah, yeah. That's incredible. It's been a long time coming. And I'm still hoping for a season three. We haven't even got a pickup yet. So we're still fighting for the show to come back. And if it doesn't get a season three, I have a plan B because I'm that committed. Season four? Just jump to season four? (laughs) Well, yeah. Like, just say like, look. I think you could do it. If anyone could do it, you could just show up and be like, fine, you're not going to give me a season three? 
Let's just start right away on season four. We're going to perform it on corners and random mm-hmm. cities. You'll come see us whenever. Because it's just, it's important that we have it mm-hmm. centered in a show. And I'm going to keep fighting for that because we need it. Here, here. I never imagined that, you know, somebody my age and my look and my low-key vibe. I mean, I only had two seasons of my of one Mississippi, but there's no world where anybody made me think that was a possibility down the road. And there's, of course, you know, bumps in the road, like anything, but it's, it's even now a different world than it was five years ago, in extraordinary ways. Yeah. And that's why for when people say is 20 semi autobiographical, I always say heavy on the semi, because Mm -hmm. Patty has inherited a Hollywood that I didn't experience. Mm hmm. It was important for me to write that line for her to say, I'm black, I'm gay. Hollywood should be knocking down my door. Exactly. And, and when I was black and gay, coming down, like, they were like, what? <laughs> you can't yeah. go. Okay, pick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Jojo, you know, who who plays Hattie on the show, who's amazing. And so is Christina and Gabrielle, who play the three actresses on the show. Like Jojo is also very much a person who can say, yeah, I get to run because Lena walked. You know, I get to have this this role where in essence she's playing somewhat of a version of me, but she's now, she was in a Sundance movie this past year. She's in a, she's filming something else right now. And so that to me will always be my legacy. Not, not the movies, not the shows, not the awards. It's really about who gets to come and leave their impact on this industry because I was here. And that's exactly it. I mean, you've called yourself the queen of mentorship. You know, I was at Tribeca and I went to the... Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Rising Voices. Yeah. Rising Voices. Yes. Where you produced all these new up-and-coming creators and filmmakers. And um, it's nice to see that sort of support out there for people. And um, and mentorship is, you know, it's in the neighborhood of advice. So what qualities make you the great mentor that you are? You know, it's interesting. I don't recall calling myself the queen of mentorship, even though I think that's okay. hilarious. But I think I'm a person that takes mentorship to heart because Mm -hmm. I know I wouldn't be here without being mentored myself. And so Mm -hmm. I think what I try to do is do it on a larger scale where it's not just me. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the most important thing is that I now have many people that help me find folks and, and, and work with them. And then I can get on Zooms and chat with people and give advice as much as I, I can. But it's important that we stay, you know, we don't just go, okay, I'll mentor you for a couple months and see what happens. I get emails from people five, six years after the fact I met them and they'll say, hey, I have a question or, hey, I was thinking about this or I'm going back and forth between these two agents. I'll happily jump on a Zoom or, or, or you know, send a voice note and, and give my opinion. And that to me is true mentorship, the kind that lasts. Great. Well, I'm going to text you with some questions and see how how good you are at actually hopping on a Zoom with me. I mean, you're pretty good. You, you're you right here right now on a Zoom. We got it going. Should we hop in and uh, answer some advice questions? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's. Let's do it. All right. Hillary writes, I have recently retired from a 26-year career as a firefighter. This much-anticipated milestone has left me without my cadre of hardworking immature brothers and sisters. I'm home every day and driving my partner crazy. 
My formerly precious solitude is now in abundance. Without my cool, recognizable identity, I am feeling like an invisible gray-haired lady. There is only so much yard work I can do. I'm still relatively young, and I've got to find some new and interesting pursuits. I'm also struggling with no longer being one of the guys. Any ideas? Damn. Huh. Well written. Yeah. Well, why don't you hire her? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Send her off on a new career. I mean, I feel like even if you're not working as a firefighter, can't you still socialize with these people? Yeah. I would assume they can maybe go back to the firehouse and like hang out. I don't know what the rules or protocols are, but. Nor do I, Lena. Yeah, we're already not helpful. No, um, I would say, I, well, I would actually ask. What is something that you always wanted to do or try that you didn't have the time or the opportunity to do? And thank you so much for your service. Being a firefighter is a 24-7 job. There's not a whole lot of breaks there. So I would say, what's something that you get to do now that you wish you had time to do then? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think that's great advice to um, pursue something that you didn't before and during the pandemic, I got my plant-based nutrition certification nice. while I had some downtime. And I know where the vegan cheese is. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's great. And I also think that maybe organizing a regular time that you can hang out with these hardworking, immature brothers and sisters, <laughs> I think you can handle this. I think it's good to try something new and be the person that organizes the fun get-togethers with your old crew. I agree with that. Yeah. We figured it out. Not a bad answer. Hillary, as Lena said, thank you so much for your service. I cannot believe people do that job. I know. It's like, and we need them. Desperately. It's a phenomenal service. It really is. I really am so thankful. So I'm sure your next chapter is going to be a good one. Lena, we're going to be right back after this short break. So please don't go anywhere. Don't leave your shipwreck closet. I'll try not to. Hello, Jamila Jamil here. You may know me from my role in The Good Place or from She-Hulk or from social media and my activism. I Way basically started as a social movement and my podcast is one of my truly greatest achievements. It's a podcast against shame and a place for us to have really honest and truly inclusive conversations. I love connecting with people. I love learning. I have a lot to learn and I'm inviting you along with me. On I Way with Jamila Jamil, I have friends, activists, specialists and absolute heroes join me to teach me from their experience and expertise. People like Conan O'Brien, Jane Fonda, Roxanne Gay, Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Byer, Alok, Kelly Roland, and more. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil has new episodes out every Tuesday and you can find the show on Earwolf.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. You can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Macy's, Sephora, and Zappos. And even stack deals on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. 
Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey there, it's Janae Desmond-Harris, a.k.a. Dear Prudence, and I want you to tell me about all your problems. Each week on Slate's Dear Prudence podcast, I'm here to tackle your questions about relationships, sex, work, family, and beyond, all with the help of an expert guest. We'll help you navigate it all. Whether you're a teen dealing with parents, an adult looking to spice up your sex life, or you just need some validation that you're not losing it, we're here to listen and to offer some guidance. Need help? Just ask Prudy. New episodes every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Lena, this next question concerns long-distance romance. Okay. I bet you've had long-distance romance. Yeah, sometimes. It always turns into long-distance with this job. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've had a couple of long-distance romances. Yeah. It tests you. Yes, it does. All right. Nina writes, Hi, Tig. I'm a huge fan from the Philippines. My boyfriend, who is in the UK and I have been in a long distance relationship for over a year now. We won't see each other again until summer. Do you have any date ideas we could do to keep it fun and exciting, even with an eight hour time difference? Thanks. And I love your work. Uh, Well, thank you from the Philippines. You know, a lot of people don't know this. My brother is part Filipino. Yeah, I have a breakdancing Filipino younger brother. You're cool. I know. I feel he does make me feel cool. I'm always like showing people videos of him uh, spinning around and doing all sorts of moves with his crew. So hello. Hello, Philippines. Yes. As far as a date, it's gonna have to be Zoom, right? Yeah, that's all I right mean, too, which I think can be good. And I'm a big believer in when you're Zooming, put your phone down, focus. Mm-hmm. And Maybe what he could do is send something to her that she opens when they get on Zoom. Oh, Lena. Thing that's similar and they get to share. Lena, Lena, Lena. Boom. You got to send it. Wow. That's good. <laughs> that is so good. I was just going to go with the run of the mill boring option, but not boring. Because it, it, you know, if if I was apart from Stephanie and we had a time difference and we had to Zoom, I would say, yeah, put down the phone and really have a moment of like, you know, I know some people don't like to watch other people eat, but I would be perfectly happy to have a meal with her over Zoom and like... Uh, you know, sometimes people watch movies and they, I don't know how it's done. I haven't done that um, yet, but I know you can do it. Yeah, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Yeah. But man, that's a great idea, Lena Waithe. I'm into that kind of I'm definitely, I like any kind of romance. I think that is, and thoughtful, gotta be thoughtful. Nina, I would say I hope that idea helps, yes. but I know that's gonna help and keep that spark alive. Yes. 
We're going to take a quick break to answer a question that came in on our therapy etiquette inbox. This segment is where we answer those awkward questions we all have as people getting the professional help we need and deserve and is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Today's question comes from Connie. In couples therapy, is it okay to keep a secret if you aren't at fault, but telling your therapist and consequently partner will probably cause upset and do more harm than good? Connie, I don't know the content of your secret, but now I have to say I'm I'm pretty curious. So I can't really advise you perfectly, nor should I. This sounds very specific to you and your relationship and the dynamic you established in couples therapy. But as a general rule of thumb, secrets carry with them baggage. And right now, you're the one carrying it. And ultimately, isn't a goal of couples therapy to open up communication so neither of you need to carry secrets or fear collateral damage from speaking your truths? I mean, one way to look at the situation might be you're clearly concerned about your partner and how this truth might affect them and their feelings. In this sense, it's considerate. Perhaps it behooves you to consider why your partner would be upset by the secret and what underlying issues really animate this anxiety here. Why are you afraid of your partner finding out this secret? But there's also a danger that they might discover this truth without you or that the burden of carrying the secret will become a feeling of guilt or anxiety. Those aren't, those aren't great outcomes either. So remember why you're in couples therapy, to navigate these tough moments and disclosures under the trained supervision of someone who can attend to both of your complex feelings. I really hope that's been helpful or at least somewhat reassuring. We want to hear from you. Send us your therapy etiquette related questions at don'tasktig.org. Thanks to our sponsor, BetterHelp. Now let's get back to our conversation with Lena Waith. Lena, do you like being alone with your thoughts? This has to do with the next question, by the way. It depends on what the thoughts are. Mm-hmm. If I'm spiraling, that's bad. Yeah. Like just chilling and watching something and smoking something, I will happily be alone with my thoughts because those thoughts are going to be very interesting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what if you're not watching anything or smoking anything? What if you're just alone with your thoughts? Uh, I'm cool with that because I think for the most part, I'm thinking about all kinds of things that just erodes the gamut. And so as long as those thoughts don't take me to a dark place, I'm cool. But if, if, mm-hmm. I'm, if I'm a little, little bummed out, I, I want to get to the bottom of it with someone to help me. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, but if I if I'm just thinking about silly things and like ideas, I'm cool with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You're good with yeah. silly. Yeah. Silly's really good. 
Well, Jerrica writes, I'm currently working as a research assistant for sea turtles in Costa Rica. Every night we patrol the beach from 9 p.m. to 3 a.m., which is exhausting and involves a lot of mud, rain, and bugs. As difficult as these night patrols are, I've been listening to a ton of podcasts, including yours, to make them bearable. That's why I was so distressed when our boss recently told us we can't listen to anything on patrol anymore. I don't think I can be alone with my thoughts for six hours every night. What can I do to occupy my mind? Wow. First of all, so interesting hearing about other people's jobs. Yes. It's like I get up, you know, we take our kids to school. I come do my podcasts. I go tell my jokes. I do my version of acting and things. <laughs> and uh, and then I'm reading about sea turtle research in Costa Rica. All this is going on while I'm doing my nonsense. This person's actually... People are putting out fires, literally. People are putting out fires. People are walking through rain and mud and bugs and researching turtles. And I'm like, hey, uh, hey, guys, uh, this ever happened to you? Uh, I was on a plane once. And uh, I mean, <laughs> thank you for your turtle research. Gosh, yeah, six hours every night, 9 p.m. to 3 a.m. Have you considered getting a different job? <laughs> Job sounds so specific. I don't know if they could just move jobs that quickly. I mean, it's interesting because I used to transcribe tapes from the real world, Australia, from 6 a.m. to 3 a.m. in the Valley or Bunim and Murray when I used to work that gig when I was first in L.A. to help pay my rent. Wow. And so I know something about a late night gig that, you know, can be a little mind numbing. Because I was just literally transcribing everything they were saying and doing. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for your work. <laughs> <You're> welcome. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I also used to work at Blockbuster where I had to, like, put organize all the, the movies and things like that. So I think for me, those were jobs that I was working to get to something else. So I would be able to mm-hmm. think about storylines or what I would want to do and things like that. And I was able to check out. And I think it can Mm -hmm. be really tough because (laughs) I want to know why they're not allowed to listen to stuff. That's my question. That feels odd. I know that. Is there any sort of danger? Why can't you listen to TIG? Yeah. Why can't you listen to TIG? I genuinely, I'm stumped. I don't know what one could do. What TIG? Is there something you do when you're alone with your thoughts or don't want to be? Well, I mean, a lot of times when I'm on tour and I'm in a rental car, because I prefer to drive when I can, I like to leave the hotel whenever I want to leave rather than chasing a flight, you know, time, departure time. I just like to find some delicious vegan restaurant on the road and, you know, just kind of take my mosey in time and I noticed that I'll be driving in complete silence for hours on end. Really? When there's silence, I just, I feel like it's a a time for my brain to kind of really play around or think things through or plan something or um, reconsider. And I think also having no plans for the silence can be good because... I know for myself, it feels 
meditative in ways. It might not be as bad as you think. And um, if you don't reach a meditative state in what you're doing, I say come up with a plan of like, organize your fantasy vacation, work through an argument with an old friend that you haven't revisited. And maybe you can go to them with some new thoughts that you didn't have before. Or I don't know, I I feel like it, it could be a good experience ultimately do you think i'm insane (laughs) no i think a lot of people during the pandemic and continue to be in that i think had a lot of time with themselves and i think this that's why this question actually might be more universal than we think because i think a lot of people Mm -hmm. reacted differently to it to go from being on the go and being busy and always having tasks to nothing and silence and people filled that silence with different things some people drank some people watched tv a lot of people smoked weed a lot of people ate food you know, got on Zoom parties and stuff. And there are some people that I think kind of sat with themselves and like, huh, gotta make a change. Yeah. That would be tough for me though. Six hours in quiet on a beach looking for <laughs> turtles and stuff. Well, it'd be really weird if that's what you were just, you know, it's <laughs> like when people say with stand up, they're like, oh my God, I could never do that. That's the hardest thing. And I'm like, I could not do what you do. You know, I could not for a surgeon. You know, I'd be horrified if somebody was like, oh, my gosh, the surgeon collapsed. We need you, Tig, to come in and do the heart surgery. No, I'll go on stage and talk for an hour without any clue what I'm going to talk about. That's no problem. And that's the greatest fear. Yeah. And heights. Yes. Jerrica, those are the ideas that we have. I feel like maybe we've fallen short, but listen. You're writing in about a turtle job in silence. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a comedian, right? What am I? I don't know. I think you should ask your boss to give you the reasons yeah. why you can't. Because is somebody's life in danger here? I don't think so. Tell your boss to yeah, call me. Call too. Lena and I will get on a Zoom. I'll be down. We're happy to do that. Mm-hmm. All right. We've got one last thing before you go. All right, it's a segment called Name That Thing. Name That Thing. This is the part of the show where people write in when they need us to name a thing for them. Judd Apatow and I named a log cabin. LeVar Burton helped me come up with a name for a listener's guitar. The only catch is that they must use the name. It's binding. All right. Lena, are you up to help me name that thing? I am. Okay. Shelly writes, My son and his wonderful wife are expecting their first child. My first grandchild. In June. I've always been of the opinion that what the child calls the grandmother should be an organic process and have always looked down on the women who dictate what they want to be called. Now that the time has come, I'm starting to rethink that opinion. I'm very active, so the thought of grandmother, grandma, or granny makes me cringe. Yeah, I... You know, that's interesting because I called my grandma, may God rest her soul, grandma, which uh-huh. I think made sense. She was like in her 70s, you know, <laughs> and then my other best friend who called her grandmother granny. 
but it flowed. Uh-huh. It made sense. Also, an older black woman, you know, who makes cakes, all that stuff. May God rest her soul. Uh-huh. My friend's mother, she's 80-something, and she goes by Meemaw, and she is the most active with it person in her 80s, and Meemaw doesn't sound like she's, you know, 25 by any stretch of the imagination. Um, although that would be a funny character named Meemaw that was 25 and like smoking hot. But if you're saying grandmother, grandma and granny don't feel right to you, I hear you. And my stepfather, when our kids were born, I was asking him, Rick, what do you want to be called? And he said, just how about Rick? And I was like, no, it has to be something else. And then organically, it came to be Cowboy Rick because he lives in Texas. And he's nowhere near a cowboy. He's the most buttoned up (laughs) person. But it's so cute because he signs his Christmas cards, Cowboy Rick. My mother would never have imagined that this would be what's going on. So incredible because he refused to have any sort of grandparent type name. I get it. It's interesting because I have a a dog whose name is Gigi. Mm -hmm. That could also double for a grandmother. So it sounds like kind of cool. That could be a hip thing and it's easy for kids to say. So Gigi could be a contender. Yeah. Gigi. Yep. I like that. And then I'm also thinking about how Shelly didn't want to dictate and then now she wants to. It could be cute to call yourself the dictator. Because <laughs> kids love that. They'll make it short. <laughs> hey, Dickie. The dictator's coming over this weekend. <laughs> I love that uh, Jada Pinkett's mom, they call her Gammy. Mm-hmm. She's a young looking hip grandmother. If you were a grandparent, what would you want to be called, Lena? You know what? I'm not mad at Grandma Lena. Grandma rolls off the tongue, man. It's like something about it works. But I think that it's not the most fun thing to be called, now that I think about it. (laughs) We called our grandmothers by their first names. That, nah, we wouldn't have gotten away with that. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's because My one grandmother, I think, didn't want a grandmother type name. And so we just called her Teal. And then my other grandmother, Mildred, I mean, that name in itself says that's that's a a grandmother. There's not a lot of baby Mildreds toddling around these days, you know, although I'm all for it. (laughs) Hey, little Mildred. Yeah, my grandmother, the one who passed her name was Tressie. Tressie. Yeah, old school name. You don't see too many of those. Southern. What part of the South? Arkansas. Okay. She was the reason why we are Chicagoans. She was not the biggest fan of the South, as you would imagine, being a black woman. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was 17. Wow. I know I'm from Chicago, but I say that was my grandmother's Emerald City. Now we have the shy for Chicago. Well, you know, this is Shelly. And there's the shy. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't know. I wish I knew where Shelly was from. Because there's a few fun parts of, you know, Shelly and the shy. The shell. The shell. Shell. Shell was kind of cool. The shell. The shell. The shell. The shell. How about shell? That's great. That's actually really cool. Oh, well, thank you. She's shy. <laughs> She's shy. That's great. She's shy. She's shy. She's shy. That's actually amazing. We can't take credit for that. Thank you, Shayna. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, she shy. I still like Shay. She? 
Are you? Are they going to get them confused with the everyone's favorite character, Che, from it just like that? I don't know. This isn't our problem. I mean, ultimately, this is not our problem. This is Shelly's problem and the people that surround her. And we can only do what we can do, Lena. You're right. right? You're right. I like she shy. She shy? Yeah. All right. Tig likes the ambiguous she. 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 Hey, she. Hi, she. She's here. I mean, I can, I can see that. I can see a child saying she. I'm with that. You got, you got two cool options, Shelly. And what what do you lean heavier on, Lena? I'm gonna just say she shy because it has the title, you know, part title of one of my shows. So I'm I'm into that. I'm into she shy. She shy. She shy. All right, Shelly, your grandparent name is officially she shy. Enjoy it. <laughs> You're welcome, Lena. That's all we have time for, and I am so thankful that you took the time to hang out with me and try and help these people that um, I don't know that we even helped, but we attempted. That's all that matters. This, this has like been the fastest hour. It flew. I, lo- I mean, this is such a, a joy to sit and talk to you. I've like watched your work and it's been very inspiring to, to see you be so yourself and not get swayed to be anything other than that. It just It's very, it keeps me in that space of, Always stay true. Always stay true. So thank you so much. Oh, that's nice. Same. It's been a real joy to watch you just exploding with so many cool things. And is there anything that you'd like to mention before we wrap it up? Um, Please watch 20s on Showtime. Uh, (laughs) Have you seen it already on BET? So we can get a season three so I don't have to force their hands and go straight to season four. Because I will. Right. All right. Well, thank you again. And uh, hopefully I'll see you sooner than later. Yes, I love that. All right. Thanks. Thank you. And like I said at the top of the show, I want you at my live show because I'm touring. I'm out there in the world touring. It's called the Hello Again Tour and tickets are at tignotaro.com. What on earth are you waiting for? Are you like, well, tickets are sold out in my city. Look at my tour schedule. I might be at a city right near your city driving distance. So get your tickets now wherever you are or wherever my show is. All right. See you then. Tig is hosted by me, Tig Notaro. It's produced by Thomas Willette, Shana Deloria, and Ryan Lore. Our executive producer and editor is Beth Perlman. Engineering and sound mixing by Johnny Vince Evans and Eric Romani. Digital production by James Napoli. Talent booking by Marianne Ways. Production support from Pizza Shark. Our theme music is Friend and Tig by Edie Burkell and Kyle Crusham. And Listen to Your Heart by Edie Burkell. Special thanks to Hunter Seidman. APM Studios executives in charge are Lily Kim, Alex Shaffert, and Joanne Griffith. 
concept developed by Tracy Mumford. Our executive consultant is Dean Capello and Gobsmack Studios. You can always ask for advice at don'tasktig.org. Just write in with your problem or send us a voice memo. Remember to follow us on social media at Don't Ask Tig. Don't Ask Tig is a production of American Public Media. And as always, thanks, Dana. And I'll tell Becky. I'm stand-up comedian and sex symbol Tig Notaro. And I'm actor and writer Cheryl Hines. Before Cheryl and I got into the big business of podcasting together, (laughs) we were just simply friends. And we're still friends. But now we talk about a different documentary every week on our podcast, Tig and Cheryl, True Story. So whether you love documentaries or just want to hear us slowly lose our minds, check out Tig and Cheryl, True Story, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, cool.